we've got WrestleMania predictions and more on this next episode of Breaking Ring Rust. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Ring Rust, a pro wrestling podcast by Jeek Nation. I am your host, the original Jeek, Rockin' Mr. Magic, and welcome to this episode. Today, tonight, yeah, officially it is nighttime here. It is a, a lovely, been a lovely Sunday, and we are going to be discussing SummerSlam 2022. So, settle up, and let's get started. Before we go into SummerSlam itself, I do have one quick topic that I want to touch on before going through the show itself, because, you know, we're talking about several matches here, and that's going to take up most of the time of this episode. But this little tidbit came out, and I and I want to address it. So Chris Jericho, he was on a podcast, as he's on several podcasts. I think that's one dope thing about Jericho is he's uh, so willing to do so many different shows. Uh, but he was recently on a podcast. Uh, I forgot which one, uh, but it's a well, true, 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 true uh to Jordy, I guess. I'm guessing that's pronounced Jordy like Jordy LaForge. Um, I've never heard the podcast, so I'm not going to pretend to know how to pronounce that, but I'm going to assume it's Jordy. Uh, but Jericho was on the True Jordy podcast, and he made some comments on the term botch. And... I'm just going to read the quote that he said here. The wrestling term that I hate fans using is botch. Oh, you botched that one. Shut the F up. This is a live wrestling show. Mistakes happen. Why? Because we're human beings and it is live. If it's a movie, there's take 5, 10, 15, 20. We have one take. If someone falls down and you and people, you know, and insert people say you effed up f you i will punch you in the face for saying that it's embarrassing and it sucks we wish it didn't happen but it's live you watch a hockey game or a football game the guy takes a shot at an open goal and he misses the net how does that happen if you go to a broadway play and someone misses their line you don't chant you effed up that's disrespectful hall of fame people are booing the bushwhackers well f you People were making fun of them. How dare you? I love wrestling fans, but you guys have got to keep it in check and show some respect. So botch, there is no botch. There is just mistakes that happen on a live show. End quote. So there's a lot to to unpack there. 
But to me, the gist is Jericho feels that wrestling fans take liberties with wrestling that they don't take with other mediums of entertainment. Um, and label in and, and that label botch, um, you know, to botch something, I guess it sounds as a term, it sounds worse than saying the word mistake, but you know, I've been a wrestling fan for most of my life and I've, I've only, I discovered the term botch from wrestlers, not from wrestling fans, but from guys who were wrestlers who used the term or, the wrestling insiders, they use the term botch. From my knowledge, and some and anyone listening, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that is not a fan created term. Just like the term mark is not a fan related term, or jobber or jabroni, not a fan created term. Those are terms created from within the industry, not fans outside of the industry, outside the business. So to use the word botch, I, so I think really what Chris has a problem with is that outsiders, being fans, are using the word botch, and he feels that, you know, they're just mistakes and fans shouldn't do that. Now, to a certain extent, he's right. You know, fans can be disrespectful. Um and it's that's that's not okay. You know, you don't go to a Broadway play and hear chants. That's true. Um, booing the Bushwhackers, you know, the, the Hall of Fame thing. Not cool. A hundred percent. That was not cool. Uh, however, I think Chris is drawing. Actually, not even think. I know, Chris is drawing a false dichotomy here uh, with other forms of media. And, uh, not media, but other forms of entertainment, um, hockey games, football games, basketball games. They have, you know, baseball, baseball games as well. They have some of the worst hecklers you will ever hear in your life. I mean, I, I've been to pro wrestling shows. I've been to professional baseball games, basketball games, you know, hockey games. The stuff you hear from fans at professional sporting events where it's not a scripted outcome, so much worse. Now, the, the difference is that when you make a, when you generally make a mistake or something happens in with a heckler, in professional sports, it is one person being very loud or a small group. It's generally not the entire crowd that's heckling you. It is more of an individual basis. You'll have one particular um, super fan heckler that's kind of allowed to go off or is known to go off on opposing teams, on visiting teams that will say things and uh, people just kind of let it go. Or you'll see clips of you know the guy that gave the double dirty uh, the, the double middle fingers to Russell Westbrook in the in, in the in the Sixers game and uh, you know situations that exploded like the mouse in the palace you know where the guy threw the beer at at our test that was one dude that wasn't the whole crowd 
you know, doing that, but obviously more people got involved. Um, is generally one person who's really being egregious in their actions at a professional sporting event. However, there are tons of instances where the crowd collectively is calling out your botches. And one of the biggest examples would be in professional basketball when someone shoots an air ball. Now, they're not yelling, you effed up, but they're shouting air ball over and over, and it's very loud, and they're reminding you that you just shot the most embarrassing shot that you can shoot in your sport, an air ball, and they're laughing at you. And then not only are they doing that in the moment, you're going to have to go home and see likely see your air ball and them and hear them shouting it on ESPN because you're going to make the not top 10 list. Fans in crowds will, will say things and mock. Now, you know, the crowds uh, at pro sporting games, especially like, you know, basketball, you know, they're in the arena, so you're talking 20, 30,000 people. But football games, you know, especially college football games, what they say, and if you're in a country, if you're in a play, part of the country that has big-time football, you know, big-time stadiums like Michigan Stadium, the the Horseshoe where Ohio State plays, Happy Valley where Penn State plays, those three stadiums alone each seat, sit over 100,000 people. And trust me, when someone makes a, makes a mistake, they're letting those players know that they effed up. Not in those exact words, but they are. There are tons of chance that they do when somebody screws up. Tons. So for Jericho to act like this is some unique phenomenon that is exclusive, terrible treatment that professional wrestlers receive, he's way off. 100% way off. It's not some unique experience. It is only unique in the fact that a lot of the terms, like botch and such, come from inside the, in, inside the business, and that wrestling fans also have been uh, trained and coached to to chant things and the smarter the fans have gotten uh, and the more, you know, crass they've been permitted to be, the more they've said. And you can, you know, you can blame ECW if you want for those types of crowds becoming more prevalent because you really didn't have it that much um, in WCW and WWF slash E before the rise of ECW and fans really, really shouting down and really, really verbally being known for being vocal uh, within the show. But it's not a unique thing. It isn't. It's not unique at all. And if you think it's bad and you think it's harsh, Jericho, then I encourage you to go to some of these 
sporting events in other countries. You know, these football matches in, in, in the UK and other parts of Europe where they're shooting flares at the field, where they're taking coins and heating them up with lighters and then throwing those heated up coins at players so that it hits their bodies and not only hits them and hurts, but the, but the warm metal sticks to their skin and they have to rip it off and just have a massive wound of skin just ripped off their body. Where in Turkey fans have just throw anything onto the court. I remember Ruben Patterson talked about a time he was playing in Turkey. Someone threw a boom box onto the court. Just threw a boom box. So people, you know, people hurling you effed up. Yeah. Words can hurt. Yeah. It's disrespectful, but stop that. Stop acting like it's something unique because it's not, it's not fans. Don't even throw stuff anymore. This isn't the nineties. You're not getting NWO heat. No one's throwing drinks and cups and stuff into the ring every time you come in because they're booing you. You you know, yes, it's a live performance. Yes, you only have one take. It's a live performance for every NBA game, every NFL game, every NHL game, every MLB game, every Champions League game, every Euro Cup game. And what they, what they go through is the same as what you go through sometimes on a grander scale, grander scale, and sometimes they get stuff thrown at them, especially overseas. So suck it up, buttercup. If you make a botch, so what? You botch. Mistakes happen. You know, you got a whole generation of kids out there trying to call LeBron James a goat. And he is the career, by far the the biggest botch in NBA history because he has the most turnovers, which are mistakes, botches, the most turnovers in NBA history by far. He botches all the time. And when he does, opposing fans let him know. They make fun of him. Call him the bum. Every time Russell Westbrook throws up a shot, a terrible, ill-advised shot, here comes Westbrook. That's a whole nickname off of somebody's botches. So Chris Jericho needs to get a dose of reality because he's clearly not seen a basketball game or a hockey game or a football game in recent memory because there's nothing unique about the treatment that wrestling fans give wrestlers. Again, not saying it's good treatment, not saying it's a good thing, not saying it's okay, but it is the reality of what it is. And Jericho making a a bit of a fuss about it is personally to me for someone on his level uh, on the, the pyramid of greats in wrestling you know, he needs to take that Dave Chappelle advice and just sh- shut up. All right. 
now that that's over, let's go to SummerSlam 2022. Before I go into reviewing this show, I'm going to introduce you to our ranking system. One, we rank matches and the overall show, one through five rings. So when we talk about each match, rank it, and then rank the show. So to start WrestleMania, (laughs) to start SummerSlam 2022, we had Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair. And if you haven't, you know, watch SummerSlam 2022, everything from here on forward is going to be a spoiler. So uh, if you haven't watched this show, this pay-per-view, I encourage you to pause here, watch it, and then come back. Because from now forward, there's nothing but spoilers here. So, uh, Bianca Belair defending against Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca retains her championship via pinfall via the KOD. I give this match a four out of five rings rating. Uh, I generally don't like championship matches starting off the show. Uh, I some I generally type it, kind of feel that it doesn't respect the championship uh, to start off a show with it to being the opening match, but I think that's just because it really didn't happen when I was a kid. And so I think that's an old wrestling, old wrestling fan thing uh, that is a holdover. Because when you have so many championships, I don't, you know, having a championship match being the opening match, you know, I really can't say it hurts the. That's the word I'm looking for. I really can't say it hurts the the legacy or, you know, the level of. Uh, level of respect that people have for that title, you know, the level of prominence for that title. So you, you can make an argument, you know, that it does, but when you have so many championships and you have, you know, pay-per-views that are going to be seven, eight matches, some, and, you know, if everybody defends their titles, then every match is going to be for a championship and, Somehow you have to decide which championship match opens up, and you know that's not always the case. So I think that's just some old time thinking that I I'm slowly getting over. And this match did not disappoint. Uh, I I think Becky and Bianca work very well together. And like I said, Bianca retained uh, via KOD. End of this match was pretty dope. Uh, Bianca getting a KOD on the outside, you know, uh, and particularly Becky going for the manhandle slam off of the second rope, but it was reversed into a very, very well executed Spanish fly uh, by the by the two of them. That was smooth as butter. Was that Spanish fly? I absolutely loved it, and from that. 
Bianca uh, was able to get Becky back up into the KOD, hit it, get the cover, uh, for the finish of a very, very good opening match. Like I said, four to five rings. Uh, what else was interesting was the post-match shenanigans uh, that took place after the match. So after the match, uh, it definitely appears that they want to get uh, big-time Bex uh, being a babyface again as the challenger held her hand out for a handshake and Bianca shook Becky's hand and they shared a hug post-match. Then we had a little bit of a surprise. We had the music and the uh, hit and the return of my girl, Bailey, a.k.a. Yammy Pammy. Yes, Pamela Martinez, a.k.a. Bailey, has returned wearing an all-white outfit that had about 800 pockets on it. I don't know why Bailey needs 800 pockets on her pants, but this pant, these pants had just so many. You can't even call them cargo pants. Like they were like moving van pants. Like you could have stored so much. I, I can't, it's hard to describe. You have to just see these pants. Uh, but this was not the only entrance that we had. Uh, following Bailey was Dakota Kai, who had been released by WWE. And then following Dakota Kai, Io Shirai. The three of them approached the ring. There was some uh, non-microphone using smack talk between Bailey and her new crew and Bianca Belair. And when it looked like there was going to be a three-on-one attack, Becky Lynch shows back up in the ring to try to even the odds. And after some more non-microphone using trash talk, uh, Bailey, Kai, and Shirai uh, backed off, left the ring. And we get some more establishing of a face turn here for Becky Lynch. Good setup for telling that story, turning. Uh, obviously, there's some history. Obviously, there's a lot of history between Bailey and Lynch. Uh, Kai being a lackey for someone, no surprise. Uh, Io Shirai, a little surprised that they had her go lackey, but. You know, she hadn't been called up and such, so can't act like it's uh, beneath the, uh, her to, to have to do that role. Hoping I was kind of hoping that Dakota Kai was beyond, behind her lackey days were behind her, but it is what it is. Four, again, four to five rings is my rating for this match, and good beginning for some additional new storytelling here with the return of Bailey, and also the return of Dakota Kai and Io Shirai. Next match, Logan Paul versus The Miz. 
Logan Paul wins via pinfall via the skull-crushing finale. I'm going to preface this as I preface so many of the comments uh, involving the Paul brothers that I do not like the Paul brothers in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't like them at all. Uh, I will say, despite the fact that I don't like them, I don't follow them on any social media, I don't watch their content that they're in, I don't seek out their content, of all the millions of people that follow them and that have that they built their brand upon, I am not one of those people that has impacted their brand on, on a positive note or even a negative note um, because I don't like them. What I will say is despite the fact that I don't like them, I don't respect them, I, and, for, and that's, you know, there's various reasons behind the fact that I don't like who they are as people. I don't respect who they are as people as far as the type of content that they've made and make. I do respect one big thing about the Paul brothers is that when they get into something, they get into it and they work hard and they go all out. Logan Paul in this match looked like he looked like a wrestler. He looked better than guys who I've seen in AEW. He looked better than guys I've seen in NXT. He looked very crisp. He, I mean, he's they're, they're both. I mean, he's he's athletic. Uh, in the spots they set up for him were were very well put together. Um, I had just before I started recording this, I saw a a graphic showing who produced each match for this year's SummerSlam, and I'm going to ch- quickly. It was let's see here, Shane Helms. Shane Helms was the producer for Miz and Paul. And that doesn't surprise me because Shane Helms helped them put together a very good match that allowed Logan Paul to showcase what he's able to do without having Miz carry the match so much. And it it made Logan Paul look very polished. And I was surprised how polished Logan Paul looked at WrestleMania, but he looked just as polished here at SummerSlam than he did at WrestleMania. And I thought Mania was a bit of a fluke. I stand corrected. Logan Paul looks like a legit wrestler. Um, he does. Now, he's not perfect in any way, but he looks legit. The frog splash he hit, outside the ring, through the table, looked great. Um, if he's going to be a serious competitor, if he, especially if he's, I know, you know, they've signed him. I don't know what the terms of the deal are, but if he's going to become, I doubt because he's an internet sensation, he's going ever going to be a full-time performer. But if he's going to be a part-time performer that's showing up, you know, for a couple months here and there, 
he could be an, a very interesting piece of the puzzle, uh, to be perfectly honest. If they, you know, it just depends upon how they use him, how they book him, you know, and obviously what is going on with the rest of his life uh, and the rest of the content that he and his brother create and such. But I was very surprised to see another super solid uh, performance out of him. Now, granted, again, he's he's in the ring with a guy in the Miz, another guy, a person I don't like, you know, he's from Ohio. I don't like Ohio people. You know, uh, I've never liked Miz, though you've heard me on this show express the respect I have gained um, and that I currently have for Miz. And also, Miz is, you know, look, Miz has been one of those guys who will work with anybody, put anybody over. All those matches with Shane McMahon that he put Shane over, you know, Big Bunny, any Big Bunny, Bad Bunny, Shane McMahon, um, you know, now Logan Paul, you know, the, the guy will work with, the guy will work with anybody. He's safe to work with. He'll put anybody over. Um, now granted, I don't know if he was successful in being able to get uh baby face rub onto Logan Paul. Um, that's hard because the Paul brothers are such IRL heels that that's going to be a task and a half. But if anybody can do it, It's Miz. So he had a tough task ahead of him. And I would say that relatively they succeeded. Um, I ranked this match three out of five rings. It was solid. It was good. It wasn't perfect. But it was better than I expected it to be. Uh, The action was better than I expected it to be. I didn't like Paul using the skull crushing finale as the finish to the match. Um it would have been, in my opinion, better had he finished, you know, the match with uh, with another move. But a much better match than I anticipated it ever would be. So three out of five for Logan Paul versus The Miz. Third match of the night we've got is Austin Theory, Mr. Money in the Bank, versus Bobby Lashley for the United States Championship. Lashley wins via submission via the Hurt Lock. I ranked this match two and a half rings out of five. Um, Austin Theory is a talented guy. Um, He reminds me of a more muscular, wider version of Sammy Guevara. Uh, I think they're like they, they've got to be like cousins somewhere along the line. Like there's so many similarities between their builds, how they walk, how they look, how they talk, how you know, their their mannerisms. There's just so much similarity between Theory and Sammy Guevara. Uh, but one thing that uh, Theory does not have is chemistry with Bobby Lashley. They just don't flow very well in the ring together, and I don't. I don't want to put the blame on Lashley, and I really don't want to put the blame on Theory as much. I also don't think that this match was well-produced. Adam Pearce produced this match, and I don't think that what they planned out... um, And again, I don't know. I mean, I I guess I shouldn't say that. Actually, no, I will say it. Um, Depending upon the level of intricacy that went into playing this match, because I don't know how much they called in the ring, and how much 
and what spots they planned and such. But I can tell you that it did not look like they called much in the ring to me as far as a flow. Uh, because if they did, then that's more on theory and last year for not having, you know, good in-ring chemistry, really. It's just, it it was very, you could just tell that these guys aren't really on the same page working together. It wasn't a sloppy match. Uh, it wasn't, you know, a, a botch-filled match. But it did not look, it didn't look good. You could just tell the vibe was off, the chemistry off. Um, having, you know, there was a spot where they had Austin Theory trading punches back and forth with Bobby Lashley. There is no way you can get me to suspend my belief enough for, you know, Theory to be trading punches back and forth with Bobby Lashley. You know, maybe one, two, three, maybe a fourth, but by the, um, you know, one punch by Theory, then Bobby, another punch by Theory, then Bobby. And then after that second punch by Bobby, the third punch, the punch after that needs to be thrown by Bobby. There's, there's no way like, that guy's absorbing that type, that many type of blows from Bobby and just going back and forth. That's, that does, that goes beyond the suspension of belief. Uh, Bobby's just such a big human being, so strong, so Jack, it, it just, it, it's just not very believable. Um, I will say, that and also, um, but actually, before I go into the uh, praise here, that I wish they could. I wish that however they planned it out with Pierce, they could have did more of what the end spot was that showcases uh, both of these guys and made them both kind of look good. So. Uh, you saw the so the, so the end of you know the end of the match, we've got Theory doing his roll outside the ropes, you know, di- uh, rolling into the ring between the middle rope and the top rope, and he does his roll in into a uh, drop kick, which he did earlier in the match would look really good. Um, so it looks like he's you know he's going back to the well to do that again, and but what happens is he as he goes up and does it. Bobby catches him into a military press. Um, so you get to showcase the athleticism here of theory and then that just massive strength of Bobby Lashley. And then from the military press, Lashley drops theory in front of them and snaps on the hurt lock. And now we'll, and I'll tell you the transition from roll through the ropes to go for the drop kick to get caught into the military press and then down into the hurt lock was it was beautiful. It was smooth. It looked really good. Um, and in the first, so for a minute there, there was some really good chemistry in the, the smoothness of the moves. It didn't look too choreographed. It didn't look, um, you know, the way you, you know, people would critique a uh, Osprey ricochet match where everything looks too gymnastic or everything like that. Uh, it wasn't so smooth uh, that it was, you know, a, a flowing motion. There was some pause, uh, especially during the, the military press part. So it looked really good, really, really good. And, you know, theory taps out quickly because that's what would be realistic. 
So Lashley retains via submission with the Herlock. This match could have been definitely a lot better had the chemistry between Lashley and Theory uh, been better. If this feud continues, I hope future matches will be more like the end of this match. Uh, and I just, I just don't, I don't think between uh, Adam Pierce, Theory, and Lashley that they did a, a great job in uh, putting together what spots and what action this match is going to have. Next match, tag team match between the Judgment Day, Finn Balor, and Damian Priest with Rhea Ripley at Whip, at Rhea Ripley at ringside. I almost said ribside. I don't. You know, she coming out to the ring with ribs, and uh, that's not what happened. But hey, I love ribs. Uh, but Judgment Day versus the Mysterios, Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Mysterios win this match via pinfall. Uh, I give this match uh, three out of five rings. I was, I, the judgment, judgment day, the judgment day, whatever, uh, is an interesting stable. I liked it a lot better when Edge was leading judgment day, when it was him, Priest, and Ripley. It's been different and to me not as good with replacing Edge with Balor because Balor has not, in my opinion, really led but joined. So I liked it with Edge clearly as the leader um, and Priest and Ripley kind of as his protégés um, teaching them to, to, you know, the path, the judgment day, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and those who know me, those listening to the show, you know, I am not an edge guy. I don't like edge. Uh, I'm not an Adam Copeland fan, but I, I give credit where credit's due. And I was really enjoying what judgment day was doing. Uh, my guess is that they took edge out of judgment day because he was gone for TV for a while. I'm assuming he was hurt and again, in some, you know, some capacity. I haven't heard from on the room mail as far as what, uh, change things for Judgment Day. So I'm not going to make any assumptions. All I'm going to say is that Judgment Day was much better with Edge at the helm and not in uh, opposition of Judgment Day. Uh, this match was... This match was this match was all right. Uh, unfortunately, Dominic Martinez... Uh, Dominic Martinez... Dominic Mysterio uh, was the worst part of the match. Balor and Priest looked extremely crisp, uh, working together, almost like like, like especially they kind of looked like they've been in tag team for for a while. They looked, you know, and they're they're veterans. They've been in this business a while. They know what to do, but they looked really good. They looked like a seasoned team. Uh, Mister Ray Mysterio. I mean, there's you know, what else can be said about Ray Mysterio? He's he's Ray Mysterio. He's a li- he's a living legend. So. The match, the match was good. Like I said, three three rings. Dominic, unfortunately, he was he was the weakest link, but he wasn't he wasn't terrible. Um, he just was clearly the weakest link. And what boosted this match um, was the end. Uh, I pretty much had this match probably at a two and a half 
but Edge made a return mid-match. This was a uh, no disqualification, no DQ match. Uh, Edge returns to a Brood-inspired uh, entrance, and he uh, meets Damian Priest in the very long aisle to the ring, gets into the ring, hits a spear on Balor, hits off the ropes, hits a spear on Damian Priest, uh, drop toe holds, I want to say Balor, no, yeah, Balor into the ropes, the Mysterios do a, a double 619, Ray with the um, springboard frog splash onto Balor for the cover and for the pin. I I don't know, maybe because sometimes I just root for the heels too much and because I was intrigued by what Judgment Day was, I was kind of hoping that Edge was going to show up here. When he showed up, I wasn't expecting him to show up, but when he showed up, I was kind of hoping that he was going to, you know, pull the okie doke. Um, and instead of, you know, spearing Judgment Day, that he was going to spear uh, Ray or Dominic Mysterio and he was going to return and be the leader of, of Judgment Day and kind of... Uh, do one of those old fans you fell for the old okie doke hook line and sinker, you know, but you know, that's not what happened. Uh, who knows how long edge is back for, but his, uh, his entrance was definitely cool. The, the crowd popped for it, um, as they tend to do for edges returns. But unfortunately, you know, since he came back, it's just, a lot of returns because he can, you know, he'll be around. He competes a little bit, then he gets hurt and he's gone for an extended period of time before he appears again, which is unfortunate, but the man's, you know, he had a severe neck injury and he's getting older. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a lot. Uh, I personally, if edge is going to be back, I personally would prefer edge to be back full time as a manager who every once in a while gets physically involved. Uh, I think Edge needs to realize his time as a competitor is, is done and to utilize his star power uh, as a manager. He probably doesn't want that, but I think that will be best for Edge. I think it will keep him on TV um, more frequently. I think it will be best for the WWE because I think they need to start using managers more instead of just letting Heyman be the, mo the the pretty much only manager out there. And I think Edge's star power can definitely boost a lot of young talent. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that would be a win-win for, for everybody. But um, against, you know, match is okay. It's, it wasn't, a, it wasn't anything super memorable. No one's no one's going to their podcast and talking about how great this match was. wasn't a bad match, wasn't a fantastic match. It was right there in the middle. So I guess why well, I give it a three. Next match: Happy Corbin versus Pat McAfee. 
McAfee wins via pinfall. I rate this match two and a half rings out of five. Uh, this match had some problems. McAfee, McAfee has done better. He's looked better in the past. Uh, it looked like Corbin did his best to try to carry this match. And let me check this graphic here. This graphic says that Chris Park was the producer for this match. If you're not familiar with the name Chris Park, Chris Park is uh, the wrestler formerly known for his time in uh, TNA slash Impact as Abyss. So Abyss is the guy who produced the Pat McAfee, Happy Corbin match. This, like I said, this match had its problems. Uh, man, like I said, McAfee's looked better. He he and Corbin really just didn't, don't have the greatest uh, chemistry in ring, in my opinion. He said Corbin tried to carry the match a bit here. Uh, McAfee's chemistry, when he had that match with Adam Cole, I don't know if it was the style, but it just... It did. It, it was. It was not pretty, uh, and it wasn't not pretty in a good way. It wasn't like, hey, we're 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 having a brawl here, not a wrestling match. We're having a street fight or anything like that. It just it it just wasn't very good. Uh, it, it just wasn't good. Like I said, McAfee's looked better. Uh, you know, there was some spots you know that they showed off. You know, Pat's uh, athleticism, but I don't know. It there's The vibe, in my opinion, was really off with this match. And even just McAfee coming to the ring in a black tank top, you know, with, uh, with like a cheaply printed, you know, screen printed slogan on the back and then some black, like, you know, jean shorts. And some dope, he had some dope J's on. His Jordans were dope. But he kind of just looked like a, you know, like a regular dude coming in this match where, in comparison, Logan Paul came out looking like he was wearing either the same or similar to the WrestleMania gear he wore, which looked like a wrestler's gear. He looked like a wrestler. McAfee still just looks like a regular dude who's playing wrestler um, with his wrestler friends. And this time he just didn't look as good. He didn't look as crisp. Um, you know, his moves weren't as good. Uh, it just it wasn't a very it wasn't a smooth match. It wasn't a very well done match. Unfortunate in my opinion because, and may, and honestly, maybe Corbin is just not the the match up for. Uh, for McAfee, you know, he may just not be a good fit. Uh, I really thought it would have been interesting had they played more into, uh, you know, Cole and Corey Graves talked about the fact that these guys were teammates in the Colts. It kind of, you know, there was a whole, there was a line mentioned as far as, hey, you know, 
McAfee's doing a lot for Corbin. And Corbin used to sleep on his couch. Well, yeah, you know, you could have played up the fact that there should be, that there's this animosity, you know, built up because they were teammates and whatever, whatever. Um, you could have just done a little bit more to sell to anybody watching, especially anybody watching um, who hasn't been keeping up with what's going on on TV uh, to really care about this match. And compared to, you know, compared with what we had seen from a regular dude previously in this show, um, also did not help this this match uh, and really probably made it feel worse than it really was, which is why I gave it a two and a half instead of like the one or one and a half that I was planning to give it. Uh, because that's, you know, that's, you know, it's not an objective to base, you know, that the ranking for this match off of the fact that another regular dude, another super fan showed up and showed out where McAfee at this time did not show out. And we, we've seen McAfee look so much better in the past. Next match is the Street Profits versus the Usos for the Undisputed Tag Team Championship. The Usos retained via pinfall via the 1D. Uh, I gave this match a ranking of 4 out of 5 rings. Uh, this match was produced by Sean Devari, and it had it was it was it was really good. I I can't give it a five because it lacked it lacked some pop to make it a five, and because we had just seen these guys do this at Money in the Bank, um, I th- in and in a very similar fashion, I think that took away just a, a bit from what this match could have been but it was you know it was still a solid a solid match um the usos you know they've had a great run and not only have they had a great run but they've improved you know as wrestlers they've improved as performers uh and I, I love, I mean, they've always been one of my my favorite teams. You know, J, you know um, JT gets on me, the Kohar gets on me for being, you know, favorable towards the Samoans because of my, you know, friendship with some of them in the past. But my praise for the Usos is completely earned. They are not anywhere near the team that they were when they first came out. They're not anywhere near the team they were three years ago they have you know improved so much especially during this the the bloodline storyline uh the time when jimmy was out with the knee surgery and and jay uh was getting into the the bloodline storyline and you know becoming big match jay made event jay he's improved tremendously on, on on many levels and jimmy has as well and as long as they can keep their personal issues and such with alcohol under control, um, nothing should derail the train that they're on. Um, obviously, they'll lose the titles eventually, but the train that they're on as far as uh, trajectory in their careers, you know, nothing should derail from where they're going. Uh, then we've got, and speaking of improvement, then we've got the Street Profits, who I'm a huge fan of uh 
everyone continually raves, myself and the cohort included, on what a star in the making Montez Ford is. I've been I've been saying it on this show for years, and I'll continue to say it. And the fact, and honestly, the fact that Montez Ford has not been a singles champion yet is is crazy because they need to strap a rocket to this guy and shoot him to the moon. Uh, I mean, he hit you know from a running start, he hit a standing blockbuster that just looked again smooth as butter. It was beautiful, and that is freaking hard. That is really hard to do. And Montez is just, he's just so athletic. And Dawkins, I mean, if you look at, if you just go back two, three years into what these guys were doing in NXT and you saw the improvement and you saw what they were doing and you, when you saw how limited Dawkins was, um, you know, the moves, his moveset was very limited, not much in his repertoire. This match, you can see just how and you know how much he's developed and how much Montez upping his game has upped his game. They have both are just so vastly better than what they were. You know, Dawkins Dawkins hit a uh, top rope uh, suicide, yeah, not suicide, technically suicide dive, but um, Excalibur would say a top rope. Tope Suicida, um, since he did the you know flip at the end instead of the straight just dive, Tope Suicida. Uh, Dawkins hit an, a beautiful, beautiful jumping in Zaguri in this. And, and Dawkins, Dawkins is a big dude. Dawkins is a dude that's, you know, he's, he's a big man. That's a big dude to be doing jumping uh, in Zaguri's like that. His athleticism was always there, but he, you know, slimming down, getting some more muscle on his frame, and using that athleticism and being free to as well. And kudos to uh, Davari and kudos to the other producers who have put helped them put together matches to allow Dawkins to show that he's just not the bigger, you know, quote unquote powerhouse of the Three Prophets, but that he is very agile as well, uh, just just looks fantastic. And Montez, again, Montez is, I, I'm going to say this, and I fully believe that Montez Ford, um, you know, for lack of a better uh, description, could be the black HBK. Just, you know, you know the, the a guy who, can go out there and do anything and have a great match with anybody guy can, you know, can work with a broom and have a five-star match. He's so full of charisma. His athleticism is off the charts. He's just, he's a star. And personally, I don't want him, even though there has been a lot of teasing, I don't want him and Dawkins to break up. If he goes solo, I, I would prefer highly prefer the street profits to remain like the new day, remain a stable. They don't have to participate in tag team. They pursue their singular singles interests, but as, but still as the street profits and, you know, kind of, you know, manage each other, you know, valet for each other. And I think they, you know, I think 
Dawkins could be a, a good mid-card guy, a good mid-card champion, and I think that Montez Ford has world champion written all over. Just that dude is special. So, again, four rings out of five is my ranking for the Prophets versus the Usos. Very enjoyable match. Um, everything about it was just was, was super good. Next match, uh, Ronda Rousey versus Liv Morgan for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Liv Morgan retains via pinfall. Uh, according to this graphic, and again, this is not, you know, this is on the internet, so I, I, I have no idea who, how real this is, but this is via Fightful Select, so we'll see. Uh, Petey Williams apparently was the producer for this. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, Petey Williams was the producer for this match. Oh, uh, man. Um, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> like, this match was bad. I'm, it's, this match was bad. I have been a very vocal proponent about Ronda Rousey in WWE. I haven't enjoyed it. I don't think they book her properly. I don't think she works very well. I think she's gotten better in some ways, but I don't, I have not enjoyed the Ronda Rousey experiment. The first time in this time, I, I haven't enjoyed it. This match was just, man, I know people like Liv. She's cute. She's blonde. She's got this, you know, girlish uh, vibe that just draws people, that draws people to her. I get it. You know, she's a cutie. You know, I dug, you know, her, you know, her gimmick and her vibe in the right squad days. Um, you know, I dug her post riot squad. I dig her now, but I never saw her as someone who could be champion. In that, my suspension of belief can't convince me that she can beat up Ronda Rousey or Charlotte Flair or Bianca Belair or Becky Lynch or 99% of the women's division, whether it's SmackDown, Raw, or NXT. Liv Morgan can't beat up no Rhea Ripley. She can't beat up. She's not ready for Asuka. Like, who is, like, who is she? Who are we going to be convinced that she can beat up? And the answer is nobody. We, we're, nobody's convinced that she can beat anybody up. When she was with the Ryan squad, it was cute. You had her, you had Sarah Logan being the powerhouse, you know, they, you know, as a, you know, when they would tag up, it, you know, it worked, you know, Logan would do some punishment. She'd go out there and do some more. It, you know, it was, it was believable. It was passable, but her one-on-one -on -one defending her championship against Rousey, like no one, no one believes she has a chance at beating Ronda Rousey. Nobody. This isn't the Divas era. You know, where you got, where you had women 
wrestling for a title that just, you know, a lot of them weren't good wrestlers. A lot of them had, you know, barely been trained. And we're, we're in the middle of training, you know, under Finley, who, you know, bless his heart, did a great job at transforming the women's, uh, you know, division from the, you know, that Divas era into something that people were going to take seriously. Well, this is not that time frame anymore. You can't, like, you can't do that. And that's, and unfortunately, Liv is just, her build and she's so small, like, I, I I can't I I don't believe it, you know, and that and that's also a problem I have with you know with Alexa Bliss because she's so freaking tiny, uh, and she doesn't look like she could hurt a fly, and Liv Morgan is is the same way. Like I look at her, I'm like this woman can't beat up nobody. So in this match, you know, Liv and Liv and Ronda did not have good chemistry, a lot of. <clears throat> "Quote unquote mistakes were made. Um, it just it did not flow well, work well. I thought it was smart for them to kind of display that Ronda is just you know clearly outclasses Morgan. Um, they had her go to the well. I think a a bit too many times with the armbar. I think it would have been better uh, to." between arm bar attempts to have Ronda really work that arm in different ways before re attacking it. And then we have a controversial ending. We have Ronda putting Liv in the arm bar, but for some reason Liv is standing and Ronda's on her back on her shoulders on the mat doing this arm bar while Liv is standing, which would never be done, especially by an MMA, a former MMA fighter, like they would never do that. But you know, again, we're we're supposed to again my suspension of of belief can't get over that. Like, especially when you promote somebody as what they like the way you promoted Ronda, she would never do that. But you know, somehow her shoulders are down. The ref sees the shoulders down. He starts to pin. And as uh, the ref counts two, we see on the replays that Liv Morgan taps. And she taps before the ref hits three. So, Ronda Rousey should be SmackDown Women's Champion again. But the ref, his head was down as he was counting. He did not see the tap. So, he uh, called the match uh, the pinfall victory for Liv Morgan. So that finish, that finish makes uh, it makes some sense. You know, I would have, I think it would have been better had the arm bars, you know, kind of started on the ground and then somehow Liv pushed herself up to her feet and Ronda didn't let go and then the shoulders were down and then, you know, it, I think it looked a little smoother than the way they kind of had Ronda kind of jump into an arm bar and just hang there. Uh, but... You know, it is what it is. It just, unfortunately, was not a, it was not a good match. Um, too too much sloppiness. Too, you know, too many too many mistakes. And it'll what is at least interesting is you know to see what they're going to do with you know story wise. Um, you know, these controversial 
parts of stories generally are either happen either because you know they don't believe somebody's going to be able to remain champion long because maybe they feel they made a mistake or and i'm kind of leaning towards this more they are looking for you know this is more for story to try to assist in someone's you know turn and making someone uh either you know more more baby face more heel i'm assuming trying to push maybe making ronda uh more of a heel here but that remains to be seen and now we come to the main event last match of the evening brock lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the undisputed WWE championship. Last man standing match where Roman Reigns retains the championship. I give this match a five out of five rings. This match, this match was fun Uh, from the door. You know, Roman does his entrance. You know, Usos came out, come out part of the way. They're bathed in gold. He's bathed in gold, you know, which is constantly you get a great look. Um, Brock comes out. Typical, you know, Brock style, but then he pauses. He goes over to the side. There's a tractor. He gets in the tractor, puts on his cowboy hat, and puts on his Brock Lesnar uh, WWE flannel and drives a, a dirt mover you know, an earth mover uh, over to the ring and then sets the, uh, sets the lift, sets the arm and has the faith and trust to go up and stand in the lift, <laughs> which I was like, bro, Brock's a good 280. I don't know if I trust that lift to hold me if I was him, but he did. Um, so it made for a very, and he had this huge smile all his way to the ring as he drives this tractor earth mover thing. Um, Brock looks like, you know, one, he's in great shape. He's not fat Brock anymore, which is so great because um, it looks like, you know, he's taking things seriously, and he looks like he's having fun, which is important for the product um, and for him. So I thought that was a lot of fun. He interrupted the ring announcer and finished his own announcement, which was also a lot of fun. You know, I think being what he is, is a big old country boy who likes to fight is, you know, is perfect for Brock. And uh, he starts the match off with a Luthes press from this lift, which was, you know, a, I'd say a good six, seven feet off the ground onto on the reins to start the match. Um, a lot of brutality, you know, some chair, uh, some table spots where uh, Roman put Brock through, mul- you know, multiple tables, um, steel steps. Brock got them, you know, some good momentum, hit a bunch of Germans, and uh, it was kind of, you know, it showed a lot of frustration because um, Roman kept getting up. And then came the really big um, spectacle part. There was a couple, well, no, I'm sorry, before that, he throws, uh, he lowers the, he lowers the earth mover and throws uh, Roman into it and then lifts it up and dumps Roman out into the ring, which, I mean, Roman probably fell you know, f- you know, four or five feet out of this earth mover. Um, so that was, that was interesting. That was an interesting spot. Uh, and then later on they get, uh, you know, where, where Brock is f- frustrated because Roman's not staying down. 
Roman's in the ring. Brock gets back into this earth mover and try and tries to get the lift underneath the ring, but ends up pushing the ring. And he finally gets it under, and then he lifts the ring, which sends Roman tumbling down and out of the ring. Uh, a lot of people, the internet, you know, kind of went wild over this. Um, I'm going to admit, I, I'm not, I didn't go nuts over the tractor lift. It's, but, and I don't really don't particularly like it, but it was a spectacle moment. And your big pay-per-views, and to me, the big pay-per-views are Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, and WrestleMania. And those are, and that's what those pay-per-views are about, the big spectacle moments. I've never seen anybody do that before. And that was a first. It's been a long time since they there's been first. They like they've rehashed a bunch of stuff, you know. Like you know, they had the beer bat, the beer shower, you know, with the hose, and then they did the milk one. And you know, I think they've reprised that before, again. Like we've seen them rehash things. I've never, in my memory, seen them lift the ring with a earth mover slash tractor before. Never seen it. So while I don't particularly care about the tractor lift, like it didn't pop, it didn't make me, it didn't pop me, but it was definitely new, definitely, you know, unexpected. I didn't expect that. It was a spectacle moment, and I get why a ton of people pop for it. I didn't get why the internet was popping for it, and you know, you saw people sharing it all over Twitter and Facebook. I get it. I get it. Later on, we have, of course, you know, Uso interference when things were looking bleak. Um, Paul Heyman ended up getting F5 through the announce table. And a similar to Rollins stacking a whole bunch of stuff on top of The Fiend, we had Lesnar and the Uso stack a whole bunch of de- broken table debris and chairs and all types of things on top of Brock Lesnar to keep him from being able to get up and Roman Reigns retained as the last man standing. Uh, the well, There's been a lot of matches between Lesnar and Reigns and every time they're in the ring together, their, their chemistry improves. Things are just better. They look so natural and they look believable. Uh, when these two titans are, are battling each other. I really enjoyed this match. And again, five out of five rings. Um, again, the tractor lift wasn't a big pop for me, but it sure fits what they've been doing with Country Boy Brock. Um, it fits within your know, last man standing, which is a no you know, no DQ, no, no, you know, no holds barred. You can do whatever you want to do. That includes utilizing tractor. It's not against the rules. So, Completely on brand, completely fits, and all help make a fantastic match. So that brings the pay-per-view of SummerSlam 2022 to a close. And so my overall rating of this pay-per-view is three out of five rings. Um, This was a a mid-tier show. The high points were really high, but the low points were really low. Uh, thankfully, the show started and ended with very good matches. Uh, it's unfortunately that unfortunate that some of the stuff in the middle just left, uh, you know, a bit to be desired. Um, 
we had some appearances by AJ Styles, uh, mid match, and we also had uh, between match uh, a Matt Riddle appearance, uh, calling out Seth Rollins and Rollins coming out a little brouhaha ensuing, and followed by another curb stomp onto Riddle by Seth Rollins. Those those things unfortunately weren't enough to push this beyond being a mid-tier show. So it was a good show, not a bad show, a good show. Uh, could have been a lot better, but definitely, you know, had the opportunity to be worse. Um, the, the downsides of just, you know, Rousey, Morgan, Theory, and Lashley, and Corbin and McAfee just unfortunately drugged down uh, you know, the rest of the card. But again, a good show. I definitely recommend if you haven't watched SummerSlam 2022, well, then you shouldn't listen to all those spoilers. But if you haven't watched it and you still listened, I recommend watching the replay on Peacock. I definitely recommend it. It was, again, a good show. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Breaking Ring Rust. Again, I am your host, the original Geek, Rocky Mr. Magic, and I want to thank you for listening. And we at Geek Nation could not do this show alone, not without you, Geeks, you wrestling fans out there who continue to support us. So please rate and review the show on your podcasting app of choice. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Castbox and more. And if you can't find us, let us know at jeeknation at gmail.com or message us on Facebook or IG at jeeknation. And until next time, get yourself over, Marks. <laughs>